Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with community experts about their life journeys and how they came into the community world. And today we have a conversation with Brian Oblinger, an almighty 1919th forum moderator, SVP of new products at Comsor and the co-host of the In Before the Log podcast. So hello, Brian. Hey, Yuri. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you here. And the first question is, uh, recently you tweeted that three and a half years ago, you and Jared made a deal to launch a photo of you into space. What conversation led you to this deal? <laughs> yeah, so um, so Jared was a customer uh, of, the company, of the company I was working for at the time there. Uh, and we, we were both fans of, uh, of Tesla. We were starting to like order, you know, our cars. And, and <laughs> at the time Tesla had this crazy, uh, referral program where if you referred someone and they got a car, then you, they, you'd get like these different prizes. So they sort of gamified the, the referral program. And mm. one of the, one of the referral bonuses was that if you, I think it was two people or three people. If you referred them and they bought cars, then um, you would get an opportunity to upload a picture and they were going to put it on a rocket and launch it into space. And they, they didn't really say what that meant, you know? Like it was kind of like, it was sort of like, okay, like what does that mean? Is it a real photo? Is it digital? Is it, didn't really know. But so we were just sort of joking around. We were at an event together and um, we were just saying like, hey, we, we got to take a picture of us like a selfie, uh, which is what I uploaded to Twitter and, um, and you know, Hey, we'll do it. But then like, we didn't hear anything for three years. Like they just didn't really, you know, deliver on the promise until literally a week or two ago. Um, and so I wanted to let Jared know that I, I, I remembered our promise. I'm a, I'm a man of my word. So, um, I uploaded our photo and I guess at some point it'll be, it'll be launched into space and Jared and I will be out in the cosmos together somewhere. So that'll be fun. So it will be like more than just community space. <laughs> It'll be <a> real <laughs> That's right. space. That's right. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, tell me a little about your parents. Who are they? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana um, to uh, my two parents. And my dad was a... Uh, effectively a traveling salesman for 30, 35, 40 years. Um, so very, very hard work, very honest work, right? Um, and, and worked for the same company for 30 of those years, which is very uh, rare now, I think. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and then my mom uh, was always uh, in the legal field. She worked for Uh, as a paralegal uh, executive assistant, you know, things like that. So I very much come from uh, what we here in America, I guess, would call the Midwest work ethic, right? Um, you know, very kind of hardworking, um, honest, you know, honest work, uh, you mm. know, raised in the middle of the country with those kinds of values. Cool. And how, how did they met? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I think they met through a mutual friend, um, like at a party or something. I, I, I don't, I don't have the full story. That's a good question. I should, I should like, get a refresher on that. But, but I believe they just met through a, a mutual friend, um, and uh, and there it went. And 
what is your like inner background from your parents? Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean like, have you ever been in sales or in legal stuff? Oh, I see what you mean. Um, no, I've never, you know, yeah, I was never in any of the businesses really, um, except for one of my dad I'll talk about. Um, but I, I, I didn't really follow in their footsteps as far as, you know, professionally. Um, I definitely followed in their footsteps in terms of personally, kind of how I, you know, tend to conduct myself and my view of how to treat people and, you know, how to work and, and things like that. Um, the one business that I was uh, kind of involved in and, and actually worked with my dad in for a little while was he had a side business um, where he, when he grew up, he was really into racing, auto racing. And so um, living in Indiana, of course, uh, Indianapolis was like two hours away from, from where we lived. And then there was all these tracks in Michigan and Ohio and Illinois. So um, as soon as I was old enough, uh, we would pile into the car uh, every weekend and drive, you know, several hours off to some track somewhere to watch NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, IMSA races, you know, pretty much anything. And um, the little side business that he had with another another guy that that he worked with was they were one of the first companies to ever rent uh, scanners like radios at the track with headsets so people could. Mm -hmm listen to the drivers, right? Listen to the radio communication between the drivers and the pit and that kind of a thing. Um, and so what, what I did, I was like 10 years old or 12 years old and I would go to these, you know, NASCAR races and stuff. And I would be programming these scanners, um, all weekend long so that the people renting them would already have the frequencies of every driver. So we'd have to figure out what frequency is every driver on and program those into all the scanners so that people could just rent them and, you know, basically click next, 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 listen to their favorite driver or, or whatever the case was. So um, I would say that that's where I got my sort of technical, uh, sort of the technical background. Um, you know, my dad was always buying the latest tech, you know, we had mm -hmm. computers that fill the whole room, you know, kind of a thing <laughs> back in the day. Nice. Um, it's a little different now with laptops, but, um, yeah. so I would say that's where sort of my love of, of racing and, and a lot of the technical, you know, background came from. And I also just learned about, um, you know, how to be kind of in a business, uh, really, really early on there. How did you program those receivers? Uh, really manually. I remember, you know, I think now you probably just plug it into a computer and it, you know, flashes the memory and, and you're done. But back then we, you know, I sound so old now saying, you know, back in my day, uh, but <laughs> we, you had to do it manually. So I remember there was like a method where you would say, uh, there was like a memory button and then channels and then the frequency. So you would do like, like if I wanted to program, like for example, uh, channel three, usually you would choose the channel number based on the car so that it was easy mm. for people. Yeah. So for example, I guess in modern parlance, if it was Lewis Hamilton, you would say uh, like memory 44, memory, and then you would type in the, you know, it looks like an IP address, right? It's like 132.138.whatever, yeah. um, and then save. And you had to do that over and over again for every driver, every frequency, every scanner. 
And there was hundreds of these, you know, we would rent hundreds of these every weekend, right? So, and then what would happen is, um, so like on Friday or Saturday during practice or qualifying, they would be on one frequency. And then sometimes for whatever reason, because of interference or something, they change to another frequency. So yeah. Sunday morning, you'd just be, your hair would be on fire trying to like fix all of the scanners, you know, right before the race. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a fun adventure. And uh, where did you get those information about uh, each driver's frequency? We had to find them. So um, typically you would have some idea about them from previous races. You know, we would have the frequency list from the, and a lot of them would stay on the same one for mm -hmm. most of the season, you know, um, but a lot of times we would do it at Friday practice. So the very first practice of the weekend, um, we would just basically be scanning through all, all channels. And then you would stumble across one and we would basically use binoculars to look in the pit wall and see who was talking, right? Like it was so, it was so like <laughs> archaic. Um, and then yeah. you'd like write it down, you know, and then that's, we basically would find them and then, you know, make a list. So kind of crazy. It sounds like a real spy job, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That was, uh, that was my spy training, I guess, early on there. Do you remember any fun stories connected to those times? Oh my God. So many stories. Um, you know, being like, I think there's two different levels of stories. There's like the racetrack stories, things that would happen at the track. And I'll give you, I'll give you one of those. And then there's just, you're in these different cities, you know? So One, one weekend you're somewhere in Michigan, the next weekend you're in Tennessee, the next, you know, so mm -hmm. you learned a lot about um, different cultures and different, you know, different cities, different places, different people, their accents, you know, different yeah. words that they would use. You'd go to Georgia or something and you'd hear sort of the Southern, you know, I'm fixing to do this or I'm gonna, you know, cut on the air, you know, these kinds of phrases. <laughs> so I got an education really early about you know, just sort of the differences in, in America of like different places you would go and their cultures. Um, I remember like one of the, you know, kind of funny stories that was repeated over and over again was at the track. Um, and, and if, if people that are listening to this go to races, they'll, they'll laugh when they hear this. because it's kind of, um, at the track, they, they have this like hierarchy of passes, right? You have the gold pass, the green pass, mm. the, whatever there, there are usually different colors and that dictates obviously like, can I get into the pits? Can I go into the garage? Can I get behind the scenes? Like, where can I go based on my color, you know, of my pass that I bought. Mm -hmm. And, um, back then the security was not, it's not like it is today, you know, where it's very professional. And back yeah. then it was just like local guys they would hire, you know, and give them a yellow coat and say like, your security, don't let anybody into the garage <laughs> if they don't have a green pass. Um, and so my dad was like, just act like, you know what you're doing. You know, like, even if you don't have the color pass, <laughs> just, just walk with a purpose, you know, walk like, you know what you're doing and you've been there before and that you deserve to be there. And you'll see that like half the time you can just walk past these guys and they won't even, you know, notice. And I'll tell you, he was right about that. Um, now, you know, should we have been doing that? Is this a good story to tell? Probably not. Um, but uh, I, I suppose the statute of limitations has, uh, has expired. But yeah, we used to get into all kinds of different places and do different things. And I, I think that's where, you know, kind of tying it back to what I do today. We talk about, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, that was kind yeah. of the earliest version of that, I would say for <laughs> me. 
I guess now it works. Yes, totally the same. <laughs> but we have more like passes, like chips and so on. But in general, so <laughs> yeah, don't break yeah. any laws. I just want to say I want to go on record. Sure, uh, sure. Don't break any laws, anyone. Um, be be good. Be good out there. We will cut this part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in. It's more fun. <laughs> okay. So let's move to yourself. Uh, tell me a little about your childhood. Uh, from what age do you remember yourself? Ooh, somewhat early on. I think um, a lot of my, I guess, early memories are, uh, I have a brother. Uh, and so a lot of my early memories, even when I was pretty young, were me and my brother getting in trouble or fighting or <laughs> playing sports or whatever, you know? So I, I actually remember back pretty far, I think. Uh, so maybe five or six years old, I would say, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a very, you know, kind of middle-class, middle America kind of town. Um, so pretty, I would say normal lifestyle, like nothing out of the ordinary, I think, you know, played a lot of sports. Uh, we did a lot of sledding and snowball fights, you know, in the winter and, um, yeah, just kind of, I, I don't, I, I think I have, I, I suppose that everybody thinks that maybe they're normal maybe, but I, I do feel like I was, I feel like I was like pretty vanilla, you know, pretty normal, um, lifestyle in a good way. Right. I'm not saying that negatively. I just think I had plenty of opportunities. My parents were always trying to find stuff for me and my brother to do and for us to experience things, which I think molded me now to this day to, I'm very much about experiences and traveling and experiencing things. And I think that comes from kind of that upbringing of my parents, um, saying, you need to try things, you know, we need to do things. We need to go places. You need to see different stuff. You need to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. So, um, yeah, um, played a lot of sports. I was really into hockey, um, at the time because it's Indiana and it's cold and the ponds are frozen for seven months of the year. So that's what you're going to do with all your free time. Um, so a lot of sports, like I said, racing, um, was really into video games. Uh, and again, that comes probably from my dad. He, he had like the original Atari, you know, and so I sort of progressed from that into Nintendo and then PlayStation, whatever. So there's a lot of gaming background that, you know, what do you do when it's minus five degrees outside? You, you stay inside and you play games, right? Um, so yeah, that that's, I guess, the basics. Um, but uh, pretty, pretty normal stuff. I wasn't a, I wasn't a great student. Um, in fact, I think I was a pretty bad student for the first, you know, like grades zero through um, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. Like I just wasn't interested, you know, I didn't, I didn't yeah. really think it was important or interesting, or I suppose no kid really does at that age, but, um, I'll tell you what kind of changed it for me. Um, and this will be no surprise to anybody who knows me, but, um, so, like science, like for, for the first, so I, I grew up, um, going to Lutheran school. Um, and so much of the schooling was about, you know, religion or they would infuse religion into things. And so, for example, it would be like, you know, um, how do you get more fish? Right. And it's like, well, God creates more fish. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's how there's more <laughs> fish. Um, and then at some point we moved. Uh, we moved in the same town, but we moved to a different house and we were like in a different school district. And I went to a non-Lutheran school for the first time. And when those kinds of lessons would come up of like, well, how do you get more fish? Um, 
well, they reproduce, right? This sort of the scientific aspect came in and I got really, really interested. This is like fourth grade. So I was probably what, like maybe 10, 11 years old, something like that. And I just got really interested in science and technology and space. Um, and those things really uh, kind of, just for whatever reason, I guess, turned my brain on or turned it in a different direction. Um, and then all of a sudden I was like a better student and I wasn't the greatest student, you know, but I, I got better grades. I applied myself more. I, you know, liked going to school. So I owe a lot to, uh, you know, to science and technology uh, for kind of helping me find what I loved, but also be more interested in, in learning. And I will say that that continues to this day. I'm a, people talk about being a lifelong learner. I'm, I'm definitely a mm -hmm. lifelong learner, but not, not in the way that I want to go to class all the time or that I want to, you know, sign up for university courses again. It's just that all day, every day, I want to learn new stuff. And so I watch YouTube videos. I listen to pod. I cannot get enough information. Like I, I just want more all the time. And I, I, I have some ability, I guess, to retain this stuff. And so what ends up happening is I am just the guy with all the useless facts. Um, you know, like in any situation, I'll be like, Hey, did you know that X, Y, Z, ABC, whatever. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? You know? And I'm, and I'm just like, Oh, I just thought that was it. I thought you, you know, I knew, I knew about this cause I read about it years ago and I thought it was interesting. So anyway, th that's sort of uh, I think my upbringing and, you know, kind of where I, where I came from. What is the last thing you've learned? Not about the community. The last thing I learned, uh, I'll tell, I'll tell you. So yesterday, so here's my, you know, learning. So usually what I'll do is, uh, when I eat lunch, I'll go to YouTube and I, I there's, I like watching, uh, videos where people reverse engineer things. Now I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not an engineer, right. And I don't claim to be, but I think it's fascinating watching videos where engineers talk about how things work and how they build things. And, um, lately there's been a really cool series. There's a, there's a company called Monroe. Uh, and what they do is they, they, they break down cars, they take apart cars yeah. and they do YouTube videos where they talk about, you know, the choices that the designers made and why these materials and how they fit together and what the drawbacks mm. are of certain things. And yesterday I watched a video where they took apart, um, there's a new electric car company called Rivian and they took apart the dashboard of that car and they were just talking about, you know, oh, they use this kind of wood and like, here's why that's good. And here's some of the challenges and here's the type of tooling you have to build to actually do that. And it, I just find that kind of stuff really like interesting and fascinating. So, um, you know, uh, get a little material sciences with your lunch, I guess is, is my advice. Do you know everything about uh, your car's materials? Oh, no, not to this level. I mean, I, I you know, um, I, I tend to research a lot. So like, it is true that like products that I own or things that I do, I, I tend to research them a lot. I, I don't know why, I, I guess that's just also part of the learning, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I probably know more than the average bear about these things, but I'm nowhere near what these engineers are talking about. And I can't imagine <laughs> ever having that much knowledge, you know, about everything. I, I, I would say I know a little bit about a lot of things, but you know, what do I have deep knowledge in? You know, there's probably four or five topics like anybody that they know a lot about a few things, right? Yeah. It will sound a little strange, but 
according to our conversation, but do you believe in God? It's a good question. Um, so I personally, I, I think that because of that journey I told you about before, uh, I have a hard time believing. It's not about wanting to or not. It's about mm -hmm. like applying the scientific method for me. Um, and so when I, you know, exited the Lutheran school system and came to kind of public school, what we would call public school here in America, non-religious based school, um, you know, when I learned about science and the scientific method and evidence-based, you know, uh, fact-based research, these kinds of things, it just made it hard for me to, to believe, you know, because mm -hmm. now, um, what I would say is now here's an interesting point, I guess, for the listeners, my wife is Catholic and has been Catholic her whole life and is actually, she goes to church every single week and people say, well, that's weird. You know, how can you two be married? Right. You have someone <laughs> who, who either doesn't believe or has a hard time believing and someone who very much, uh, believes and yeah. is very, uh, embedded in the Catholic culture. Um, And, and I think what that means for me, and this actually ties back to what I was saying about traveling and experience, I, I recognize that just because I don't believe doesn't mean that other people shouldn't or that they can't, right? And I believe that people, if that's what you want to believe and, you know, you find comfort and solace and meaning and belonging in that, then I think you should do that. You know, I don't, mm. I'm no one to tell anybody what they should think or feel or, or whatever. Um, I think the application of those principles, you know, politically and laws, that's a different thing. But as far as basic belief goes, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think everybody can believe what they want to believe. But myself, I struggle. I struggle with that uh, quite a bit just because of the, the scientific, you know, kind of background yeah. there. Yeah. Have you heard, have you have hard conversations with your wife about this topic? Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it comes up all the time. Um, but I think we're both very open and respectful to each other's points of view. And I actually think that it's a good model, not that we're perfect or, you know, that we've discovered some secret or whatever. But I, but I think often our conversations around this would be a good model for how do you have a hard conversation with someone who believes the opposite of you without making it personal or attacking them or, you know, like have a discourse with each other where the end goal should be that we both expand our understanding of each other or the topic rather than it being me saying you're wrong or, you know, whatever. Now, yeah, do we venture yeah. into those waters every once in a while? Sure. We're humans, you know, of course we do. <laughs> But I think at the end of the day, we're Uh, respectful enough of each other in those conversations that it doesn't, uh, we're still married after all these years, you know, so uh, we haven't, I haven't overstepped the line too much, I guess. We'll, we'll let her listen and, and we'll, we'll see, we'll follow up with what she has to say about that. <laughs> It's the best sign, you know, of great uh, relationships. <laughs> you're, still, <laughs> you're still together after all of those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Okay. Can you uh, tell me please one story one trouble story with your brother involved uh tr trouble trouble or trouble which one trouble 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 When stories you... oh tr trouble yeah. i mean we were trouble. constant trouble <laughs> yeah yeah i mean 
we were brothers, you know, uh, we are brothers. <laughs> um, and if we weren't getting in trouble, then I don't know. Uh, we <laughs> what kind of asleep. brothers we are. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. No. Um, so my brother is, uh, he's, uh, I want to say four or five years older than me. Um, and, uh, you know, a typical brother, like he, he was both, uh, a brother in the sense that he protected me and, taught me things and included me in stuff that he was doing. Um, he's more mechanical than I am. So for example, he, he could take things apart and put them back together. So he was always in the garage taking apart, I don't know, a drill or a bike or whatever, you know, and putting it back together. And I could just never do that, but he would always, you know, Hey, come over here, watch this, see, see how yeah. this works. And so, some of the things that I know mechanically are, are definitely from him, how to, how to change a bike tire, how to put the chain back on a bike that's come off, you know, yeah. those kinds of things. Um, so I would say, you know, there was that aspect of it, very brotherly, very, you know, teaching me things and protecting me and bringing me along. Um, but also the other brotherly things, you know, uh, giving me a hard time. Um, we would wrestle a lot, you know, um, you know, sometimes he would have a, a cutting remark or two, which maybe were, were partly true and also taught me something, but made me feel bad, you know? So I don't think we were any different, you know, than, than other brothers in that regard. I think we had our struggles and our triumphs and, um, you know, but we're still, we're still, uh, good friends, you know, to this day. And he, he lives, uh, another state away from me. So we don't get to see each other all that often, but we tend to text pretty frequently and, you know, Hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? Oh, that's great. I'm proud of you kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, his name's Scott. So that's Scott for you. So tell me one trouble story. Oh, the trouble story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite one that I always tell is, um, back to, back to the church situation. So of course we would go to church every weekend on Sundays and my brother and I, as I said, we kind of just weren't all that interested. What we were interested in was giving each other a hard time. And so um, <laughs> the story that we always tell is, you know, we were, we were just bickering and fighting and um, we would always, my mom to like kind of try to appease us a little bit to keep us quiet, you know, during the, during the ceremonies would, would um, she'd give us the, they had the paper, um, the program for that day with the songs and, you know, the, the passages and whatnot. And, uh, she would just give us those in a pencil and it would just be like, just draw, just draw on this thing and be quiet and leave each other alone. Sometimes she would sit in between us, you know, to keep us separated. <laughs> um, but I remember this one time where, <laughs> I, I I remember this so vividly. We were just, we were, you know, poking each other and elbowing each other and, you know, drawing things on the paper, making fun of each other. And my mom was just like about to snap, right? Because she had just, she couldn't take it anymore. These two banshees, you know, going off in the middle of church and she's embarrassed, right? Because all these people are around and trying to yeah. keep us quiet. And I'll, 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 this is so stupid, but I remember this and maybe this will make people laugh. The final straw was uh, the church that we went to was on a street called Crescent Avenue. And at this point we had built up and she was just ready to snap. And for whatever reason, I just got this idea in my mind that on the bottom of the bulletin, it had the name of the church and the address. So it was like one, two, three South Crescent Avenue. And I took the pencil and I just wrote 
I wrote the word roll after Crescent. <laughs> so, so Crescent Roll Avenue. And <laughs> I wrote it down and I showed it to Scott. And I think he just like laughed out loud, you know, in the middle of like a very quiet <laughs> point. And my mom just lost it. And she just like ripped us out of the, out of the pew, you know, like <laughs> dragging us down the aisle and put us in the car. And she said, don't you ever, you know, do that again. Don't you ever embarrass me like that. And of course, Scott and I, we're, we, we're just laughing, you know, like we're, we couldn't <laughs> contain it. Um, we laugh about it now. Um, she was in every, every right to be mad at us, but, uh, there it is. There's the Crescent Roll Avenue story, as uh, as I call it. Have you returned to the church the next week? You know, I, that's a good question. I, I, we definitely went back. I don't know if it was the next week. She might have uh, she might have taken a week off uh, to gather us, but uh, yeah, we definitely we definitely went back, and we were a little. I think we were a little better behaved, you know. After that, we we learned our lesson. Yeah. Cool. What was your favorite video game on PC? Ooh, um, let's see here. So when we had the original Atari, I remember Space Invaders and Riverboat Run. I think Riverboat Run was actually kind of the, the you had to like navigate a 2D river, right? Um, and then we got a Nintendo. And I think, of course, you know, you got to play Super Mario, right? Um, yeah. And then when we got PlayStation, a lot of racing games. So uh, Gran Turismo, Need for Speed, uh, a lot of sports games. Um, Twisted Metal, if people know that game, was like the original. Yeah. That was like the original launch game, I think, for PlayStation in 1995 or 96. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of great, uh, more like more like arcade style games, right? Like I like today. There's it's very like realism and realistic. But when I was a kid, we played a lot of arcade style joystick, you know, kind of games, and yeah. I always really enjoyed those. You know, even five or ten years ago, I googled for Twisted Metal and downloaded yeah. it to my PC and <laughs> had a good play. Yeah, so that's great. I, I think yeah, they're making a movie now, or a, they're going to make a TV show, or I saw something like that, which sounds crazy. I don't know how they're going to do that, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. Have you have you played Tekken? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. I think my friend had because what console was that? On, I can't remember. Was that Nintendo? Um, all the gamers are mad at me now for not knowing what platform Tekken was on. But yes, we definitely played a lot of Tekken, a lot of those like 2D, you know, 1v1 fighting games. There, there was a lot of that. Like as soon as I had friends, you know, that also <laughs> had gaming systems, like in the summer, we would just go to each other's houses and basically play those for 12 hours a day, uh, you know, so. Uh, you told as soon as I got friends, <laughs> when you start having friends? That's a good question. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I was never a popular kid. In fact, I think I was always, I wasn't, you know, I, I don't want to misrepresent my childhood here. I wasn't, I wasn't bullied. I, I wasn't um, the, the outcast, you know, that sort of thing. But I also wasn't really popular. I just kind of did my own thing. And Um, kind of found friends that I think were similar to me in that, that we were just sort of in the middle, I guess. Um, so yeah, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, maybe just a core group of one or two, you know, at any given time. Um, which I guess maybe thinking about it now is where some of my fierce loyalty maybe comes from is that I learned to, you only have one or two of these people. So 
you know, take care of those relationships maybe is, yeah. is where that came from. But um, yeah, usually one or two friends uh, growing up in, you know, major friends. And then of course their friends of friends or whatever, but um, yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, just a couple of friends and we, we all like the same things. We like gaming. We, we would, you know, play baseball in the summer together. We would ride bikes. Um, it was very much that we're, my wife and I are watching stranger things now. And it's very much that, you know, it wasn't quite the sixties or the seventies, but, um, the idea that like the bike was your world as a kid, yeah. that age was very true of my upbringing. We, we, you know, the bicycle was everything. Yeah. Was those friends mutual with your brother or you have different friends? Usually different just because I think the age gap um, for, like I said, four or five years um, difference was enough that, you know, they were kind of, they were in high school while we were in middle school or they were in middle school while we were in elementary, or, you know, so on and so forth. So I think it was kind of hard for me to connect with my brother's friends just because of the age difference. They probably didn't want to hang out with us, with some, you know, the young kids, right? Um, <laughs> so usually it was my own friends that were kind of my own, my own age for the most part. Mm -hmm. okay. Every time I see a video with you, I'm wondering what mountains are pictured behind you. So <laughs> what inspired you to make such an installation? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I bought these. So when the pandemic happened, I was already, I've always worked from home. Uh, I guess we can talk about that, but, uh, you know, working from home and the pandemic happened and we moved to this house, I thought, you know, my video is boring. Everybody else had all these amazing <laughs> backgrounds. Like you have these like beautiful flowers behind you here. Um, you know, everybody has like an interesting and people were doing it on purpose, right? Like really trying to build almost like a movie set, you know, behind with yeah. a bookshelf and whatever. And I was like, okay, well, mine is just this gray wall. It looks like I'm in this void, you know? Um, it's like really weird. So I was like, okay, I need to go do something to spice this up. And I bought these LED panels and, My wife and I were trying to figure out, you know, do we like do a pattern? Do we do a shape? Do we buy a bunch and do the whole wall? And um, I just thought, you know, we live in Denver and it's kind of cool. So let's make some sort of mountain shaped thing. So I don't know that they, uh, you know, it's any mountain in particular. We just thought, well, it'd be kind of interesting to make them sort of look like the Rockies, you know, kind of a thing. And so that's sort of how it how it became, but, uh, you, it's interesting because most people don't pick up on that, that it's, that it's mountain shaped. Cause you, I think you can only see like two thirds of it in the video as part of the problem, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the Rockies, I guess. Cool. And, uh, tell me a little about working from home. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think I've told the beginning part of this story a bunch, so I'll keep it short, but basically I, I grew up in community on the internet, you know, like I, I yeah. just got into it very early. And as a result of that, just always worked from home. There was never really a need to, to go to an office that often or be in an office. Um, and I think lithium who I worked for, for 10 years, they were more than happy to let me work from home. I don't, they just, it never really seemed to bother them every once in a while. They'd ask, you know, do you want to move to San Francisco or something? But, um, for the most part, they were like, no, that's great. Yeah. Work, work from home. Um, so my entire career, which is now, I think 20 plus years, 22 years, 23 years, something like that. I've only worked in an office for like four of those, of those 20 some years. 
Um, and that was my time at Altrix. And that's, I moved, you know, to California and, and worked out of their office mm-hmm. there. Um, so I've always just been very comfortable working from home. I think I have the right personality for it in terms of both not freaking out about being alone all the time, um, but also that I can self-motivate, you know, that I, I don't actually need like a boss over my shoulder saying, you know, where's that thing? Is it done? Um, I'm very motivated in general to do things and do them quickly and get them out of my queue as quickly as possible. You know, again, back to sort of my probably Midwestern upbringing of there's an old quote. I don't want to like misattribute it. I think it was, um, I want to say it was like FDR or, you know, something like that. But the quote is basically don't put off until tomorrow what you can accomplish today. Um, And so that's my mentality, which I think helps me when I, when I work at home to just, you know, clear the queue inbox zero, handle things as they come in. And and at the end of the day, hopefully not have a bunch of stuff waiting on you for tomorrow, if, if at all possible. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of me working from home. Um, I still like meeting people. I still like seeing people. We, we travel a lot, which I think is the, the counterbalance to me being at home so much is to get out into the world and, you know, go see stuff. Do you work till the end until you're all work done? Or if you feel that you cannot do it today, you just pass it to tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the situation and the task and, you know, who's counting on me and, and scheduling and things. But I, my general work style is I be, like, I want to work until it's done, but hopefully that's before 5 PM even, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm all about efficiency. Like people that know me know this, that I, I'm always thinking about how do I, whether it's my personal life or my professional life, how do I be better? How do I be faster, more efficient, more quality, you know, what, whatever it is in my life, I'm always trying to figure out the shortest route to victory, you know? Um, and so usually in any given day, what I try to do is work everything that's in front of me and everything that needs to be done. And if at all possible, finish it as quickly as possible. Um, and what that usually means for me is I'll either be done sort of before the end of the, what people would say the work day is, uh, or right about that time. And then I feel good going into the night to say, okay, now I can go make dinner. I can walk my dog. I can live my life, watch TV, you know, wh- whatever it is that we're going to do without feeling that weight of, oh no, I didn't finish that thing. Mm. And it's, it's waiting for me in the morning. And, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable and you, you know, that's, it is what it is, but I'm more of a completionist, I guess, in that regard. Yeah. And what is one minus of working from home? Oh, there's a lot. You know, I think I think um, it's funny because we often portray working from home as everything is wonderful and it's so great. <laughs> and and then the same is true of people who like offices, right? They're like, oh, you can't work from home. You know, you got to work from the office because yeah. reasons A through Z. Um, you know, I think it's more about, does it suit your personal style? I think some of the negatives have been well-documented in terms of, it's hard to build cohesion sometimes with people um, if, you've, if you have never met them in person before. Um, I think the loneliness, it can be a real thing for some people. Um, I think the being sedentary part of it is very real for a lot of people, like just sitting for so many hours, you know, not having a boundary. If you don't happen to have a separate office, 
Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people I see on Zooms every day, they're in their kitchen or they're, you know, at their kitchen table or they're on the couch. And I feel like, oh, that's got to be hard, you know, to not have a, a spatial boundary between, you know, yeah. I work here, but I also sit here and watch TV at night, you know, kind of, that <laughs> seems, and there's been a bunch of research about that, about actually like when you walk through a doorway, your brain switches to like a different spatial concept. So, um, so I think there's a lot of things. Um, I, I don't, you know, I love working from home. I think it's great for me. And I think it's really positive for a lot of people. And I'm glad that the pandemic pushed us into more of it for more people, because I think it's more equitable um, and just in general, better for a lot of people's mental health. But at the same time, I think we have to be realistic about it's not all perfect either. There's some middle ground, probably, you know, hybrid kind of a thing for, for most people that's going to work. Yeah. I noticed a dog house in the corner of your office. So <laughs> tell me more about your coworker. Yes, the best coworker ever. Um, <laughs> so uh, one of the things I should say when I was growing up, we never had a dog. Um, we always had cats and rabbits um, as pets. And part of that was because I was afraid of dogs. Um, mm. My neighbor from a very early age, One of my neighbors, uh, we didn't have fences between our yards. They were just open yards, right? And my neighbor had a dog, and I think it was like a little Jack Russell Terrier, cute little, you know, black and white spotted dog. And uh, I didn't understand as a young person that if you run, the dog will chase you because they think they're playing, right? But I just didn't yeah. get that. And so I would run from this dog and it would chase me and it kind of terrorized me as a kid. Um, and so we just never had a dog because I was generally kind of afraid of them. Um, and probably, probably a few other reasons, but, um, when I got older, uh, so like around my I wasn't afraid of them, you know, as a kind of more young adult, but, um, I just still didn't, wasn't around dogs all that often. And then when I met my, my wife, um, she dogs are her world. Uh, and, and always have been. She had dogs growing up and it's just a huge part of her life, right? Um, and so she kind of brought me into that and I have really become uh, one of those people. <laughs> like I am I am a dog nut uh, for sure now. So um, when we, you know, got married, it was like, hey, we have to have dogs. We're going to get dogs. We're going <laughs> to rescue dogs. We're going to have all the dogs. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we volunteer almost every week. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not, that every single week, If possible, we go to the local shelter and we volunteer for two hours, walking dogs, cleaning kennels, you know, whatever, whatever they want us to do, really. Um, and uh, that's part of our sort of giving back to our community thing. But anyway, so yeah, so the the little bed that you saw over there is for my, I, we currently have one dog. She's a little chihuahua. Her name is, is, is Bella and she is going to be 13 years old in October. So she's getting wow. a little older, but she's like a forever puppy. And, um, yeah, she's just, she's, a, she's funny, man. She's, she's got a great energy and, uh, a personality as, as most small dogs do. So. Yeah. And forever puppy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Uh, do you get mad at other dog walkers because the dog <laughs> is excited to see yours and barks? So, um, you, you phrased that correctly, which is I never, I'm never mad at dogs. I'm, I'm often mad at humans, um, because, uh, dogs are just like, they're just living their life, man. They're just out there trying to be happy, trying to smell stuff. 
um, you know, I think, I think, uh, as humans we're, we're, we're very like bad owners, you know, like we, uh, we don't actually understand these animals and know how to, you know, how to control them and train them and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm constantly annoyed with people, but, uh, but dogs, you know, uh, I can't, I can't be mad at a dog. Do you like capybaras? Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? Of course. They're, aren't they just delightful? <laughs> the, I like that little face. I mean, come on. Okay. Do you make fun of yourself? Oh, constantly. Yeah. I, I make fun of myself. I make fun of other people in a not, you know, uh, malicious way. Right. I, I think, mm -hmm. I think for me, it's important to, um, not take myself too seriously. I think, you know, a lot of people take themselves very seriously. And I think it kind of makes their life maybe a little more difficult than it should be. Um, or, you know, kind of, yeah. So I, I, I've always, I've always been a, a person who falls back on humor in general, um, as you can tell throughout this whole podcast and anything else that I do. <laughs> I just, I think we need to make fun of ourselves. I think we need to acknowledge our shortcomings, even if it's through humor. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of the ways that I show love to people actually is if I'm not giving you a hard time or, you know, poking fun at you in, in some way, um, then maybe I don't like you, you know what I mean? Like, cause everybody that I, everybody that I like and love, I find ways of, you know, giving them the business a little bit. Um, and so it's just sort of the way that I show that I care and, you know, sort of, I think laughter is like, they say laughter is the best medicine, you know, I think there's a, there's an appropriate time for it. Obviously. Um, there's, there's a lot of situations where it's not the right thing. Um, yeah. and I've run afoul of that, of course, in my life. But, um, I think for a lot of people, you know, laughing a lot is a, is a good way to sort of keep yourself centered and, and have a good positive attitude and, and not get too, the world sucks as you know, I mean, look at where you're at, right. Um, yeah. no one more than you knows, the world is, is hard. Uh, and there's a lot of really hard things. And I think it behooves us to laugh every once in a while. Um, cause otherwise the weight of that, I think will just, you know, crush a person. But laugh, you know, it can help you in any situation. So currently, even though we have a war, we laugh a lot because it's what helps. Yeah. So, yeah. Once you wrote that your food was eaten by a delivery guy. How many times has that <laughs> happened to you? Wow, you really, you really went back in the archives here. Uh, this is this is wonderful. Re I commend you for your research. Um, so yeah, that that story was. Um, so there's all these food delivery services here, and I never, I don't for whatever reason, I don't really use them. I know a lot of people do. Um, you know, Grubhub and Uber Eats and these kinds of deals. And uh, one day my wife and I, we just, we were really tired and it's like, oh, we just need to like, we were so hungry. We didn't have any food. So we ordered some, I can't remember. We ordered, I think from a vegan burger place actually um, that we like that's local here. Um, and uh, after a while, it was like an hour or something. And I'm like, where's this delivery? Where's the, and I checked the app and on the app, they had the thing where you could see where the driver was, right? Like the GPS <laughs> location. And they were sitting in a parking lot, like two, two blocks away from the restaurant, which is like way far away from us. And, um, I'm like, what are they doing? They're just sitting in the, they're sitting in this parking lot with our order. And, um, and then after like 
20 minutes, it, it just was like, your order's complete. It's been delivered. Uh, and of course it wasn't. So I'm assuming that, you know, look, they were hungry and they, they wanted to try a vegan uh, cheeseburger and, uh, you know, I can't be mad at them. I guess they, they had to get there. They had to get, they, maybe they needed it more than I did and you know, whatever. So we, uh, we rectified that with the company, but, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was fun times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost two years ago, you made a post, uh, that you and your wife became ill and you were afraid about the COVID and you write, what if my wife dies? What if I die? What did you feel at that mm. moment? Well, that, uh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember that being like right in the middle of when the worst part, I think, or at least what was the worst part for me, which was those first, let's say like two to four weeks where I often think back on this. And I, I think a lot of people maybe have blocked this out or, or I tend to think deeply about things sometimes. And, you know, it occurred to me uh, at that time, there was so much unknown and it was it was spreading so rapidly and the, obviously so many people were, were dying so quickly. It occurred to me of like, what if this is it? You know, what if this is like all yeah. the movies where this is like the literal end of the world or like, or at least, you know, what if like half the planet dies off because of this thing? What does that mean for us going forward? And so I think that tweet you're, you're referencing, I, I try to not be, I'm an emotional person for sure. Like there's no doubt that I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I try to not be emotional on social media um, because I feel like there's enough of that from everybody else that we don't need my emotions, you know, in there. <laughs> But in that moment, I think I was just expressing what I was feeling about, you know, what if this is it? What if this is the real thing? And the people that weren't taking it seriously, I think was sort of the catalyst for that tweet of like, <laughs> You know, for the people that weren't taking it seriously, it was like, this is real, you know, and people are dying every day in, in large quantities. And the weight of that was just kind of hitting me. And so I, I don't remember exactly what I tweeted, but it, you know, you read some of it there. It's just, just me saying, you know, what, how fearful I was. And I think it's healthy, you know, to express your fears sometimes too. In the same way I say, you know, be, be honest about your shortfalls. Um, you know, I think people should be honest about their fears and express them because if we bottle those up, then bad things yeah. also can happen. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I wish to have the sky as a limit to our conversation, but time is the <laughs> limit. So Indeed. let's jump to the rapid fire questions. Sure. So camera on or camera off at Zoom meeting? Um, for me personally, I like camera on, um, just so people can see, I think my expressions, you know, hopefully add a lot to the things I say and what, I'm sarcastic a lot. And so I think it's useful for, for people to see my facial expression when I'm being sarcastic and instead of maybe taking it the wrong way. But I also think that, you know, for other people, I totally get, there's a lot of reasons why camera off might be a good idea for, for a lot of things. So for me on, but for other people, Do whatever, <laughs> do whatever is going to make you happy. Xbox or PlayStation? Oh, I got to say PlayStation. I just grew up with, <laughs> with PlayStation. I don't really care, but uh, I'm, I'm team PlayStation. Yeah. What are your favorite color and song? So, ooh, color, color is probably blue. Um, I like, I like a deep Navy. I'll say that a good dark, deep Navy is, is a good, good color for me. Um, favorite song. That's really hard. I, I'm a big fan of music. 
Um, let me just pick one, I guess. Uh, I'll tell you what. So uh, growing up, I was a huge Goo Goo Doll fan. And I think Iris is one of the best songs that was ever written. And it still holds up uh, to this day. So I'll, there's a lot. I could give you a list of 100 probably, but that's, I'll, I'll just give you, since you asked for one, I'll, I'll go with Iris. Yeah. Cool. If you were passing by the tree of wishes, what wish would you add there? Oh, world peace. Um, kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, that seemed like a token answer, you know, and like kind of always like <laughs> joked about, you know, because of like beauty pageants and stuff like world peace. But um, <laughs> yeah. boy, I'll tell you what, in our, in our current predicament, that, that seems like actually a good one. So yeah, that's probably what I would go with. Yeah. Name two people whose community life journey you are happy to hear about. Ooh, this is, this is like songs. There's so many hundreds, literally yeah. hundreds. Um, I'll go with, um, I like hearing about new people. You know, I like people whose stories I haven't heard and that are, that are, you know, so I'm going to go with, um, Jocelyn Sue um, is amazing, and I love hearing about her journey through community. And then who else? Let me do one other one. Um, Jocelyn, and there's so many. This is really hard. Um, yeah. Let's do. Let's see here. Um, let's do. Uh, let's do Beth Vanderkolk. Uh, she's over at Mural, running the Mural community, which I really admire. So I, I, I like hearing and seeing Beth's tweets and stuff. She's kind of funny on Twitter too. So. Uh, yeah, Jocelyn and Beth for, for today, but but there's many, many, many people. Sure. Is there one question that I definitely should have asked, but didn't? Um, you know, I, I think the, the one thing is, uh, you know, if you really want to dive deep into the psyche of Brian, um, you have to talk about space. Uh, and so I think... The, I'll tell you the question I ask people. And so I'll ask you this and then uh, the listeners can, can ponder this for themselves. I like to ask people, if we had the technology today um, for you to go on a one-way trip to Mars, one way, so you could never come back, would you do it? And the reason I ask the question, I'm not going to give you the answer because there is no right answer. The reason I ask the question is because you learn a lot about people based on how they answer that question. Because some people will say, oh no, I could never do that because of my family, right? So you learn about their family. Or they'll say, yes, I would love to do it because I think that it's a great exploration and the scientific adventure. You learn about their uh, sort of desire for exploration, you know? So depending on like the answer to that question, I think you learn, you learn a lot about people. So that's always a good one to ask people. And still, what is your answer? Uh, my answer is I would, I would go. Um, because I don't know what else I would do in my life that would be more epic and I think maybe more inspirational or, or valuable for the human race. You know, like we have a lot of problems here on earth that we need to solve for sure. But I think that one of the great things about exploration is that we learn, right? And I think if you look back to like the 60s, when we were going to the moon, the whole world was captivated by that and and I think inspired us and helped us solve a bunch of problems here. So um, that's, I, I would probably go. Cool. Okay, Brian, thank you very much for our conversation. You know, it's not the end. You know, <laughs> we will have a lot of conversations about space. Yeah. So get ready. It will be a volume two, three, four, up to 10, I guess. And 
thank you very much for being so open and honest. And I really liked, I really like to get to know you better and to hear all of your stories. And I know you have a <laughs> lot of them to tell more. So just be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, this was great. I hope, you know, I hope people learned something about me. And, um, and I just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, and I think a lot of people's hearts here in the US and around the world, I hope, uh, I hope you're doing okay, you know, over there and your friends and family are doing okay. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we do as much as we can to help you all out. So um, thanks again for, for having me. This has been great. Thank you very much for your support and uh, see you somewhere in the community world. Okay, take care. See ya. Bye-bye.